on this episode of Pine State Gothic. You know, we were kind of just generally talking to anyone that could be in the room with us. And I felt like a hand, like, grabbed my ankle. I could swear to you that it looked like a gentleman in a tuxedo, in shadow silhouette, just kind of laid over the back wall. I think it's safe to say that if you are a listener of this podcast, you are at least intrigued by the idea of ghosts. Maybe you've had a ghostly encounter. Maybe you haven't, but you want to believe. Take heart. Even if you don't live with ghosts, you are haunted. We all are. Haunted by unresolved trauma, unrequited love, unfinished business, unmet goals, unsent messages. These are the same things we say change spirits to this world. What holds us back in life can hold us back in death. But if you aren't content with this common thread and truly wish to make contact with the supernatural, you can always go hunt it down. I'm Leah Watkins. On this episode of Pine State Gothic, Two true stories from Mainers who purposefully put themselves in positions for direct contact with the paranormal. Our first story comes from Jen, whose night at a ghost tour at Fort Knox in Prospect was both mystifying and illuminating when she was targeted by an entity that seemed to have something to teach her about herself. My name is Jen, and the story happened at Fort Knox Historic Site in Prospect, Maine. I went on one of the ghost tours that they offer. I, I wasn't really expecting much to happen, um, but I actually had quite a few things happen. We were in a one of the like sections and I, I was covered pretty much head to toe, but I had sandals on. So those were the only part of my skin that was showing. Um, and we were in a room that they said had really high activity. And they were like, yeah, they tend to like touch people that stand by the door. And uh, there's this one like male that's really active with any female that comes in here. I was standing, of course, right by the door. You know, we were kind of just generally talking to anyone that could be in the room with us. And I felt like a hand like grabbed my ankle. So that was kind of the first one, and I didn't really think much of it, because I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. They let everybody go in, well, everybody that wanted to, uh, have like their own one-on-one kind of session in two of the most like active spots. And one of them was underground, where I think they used to store food, I believe. And they would let you sit there, and they would record you, And they would just let you sit there with a device of some sort and like let you talk or whatever. Uh, And I was down there by myself and I was talking. I was like, hey, touch me. Like, I dare you. Touch me. I don't care. 
Like, I'm not scared. Because, uh, you know, I'm a liar. Uh, <laughs> and once again, my foot got grabbed. And I kept mentioning that to them. I was like, hey, like, my, my foot got grabbed. And they said that my foot got grabbed because that was the only part of me that was really kind of open because I was wearing a long sleeve shirt and pants, but had sandals on. So one of the guys on like the ghost hunting team, his name is Travis. We were, we're using a listening device of some sort. I don't remember what it was. And this device was essentially used syllables. Like the spirits could choose specific syllables to talk to us, to make words. And we were listening to it, and we were going around we're introducing really ourselves. Jesus, so we'll start over here. I'm Jen. There. There. And Travis asked. All right, so we've told you who we are. Can you tell us who you are? And a few seconds after he said, who are you? He said, manager. Manager. Travis. He was like, Jen, Jen, don't say say anything. anything. It was really freaky to me because I hadn't realized at that point that Travis used to be my manager. I kind of recognized his face. I was like, oh, I, I feel like I know this person, but I didn't know where from. I actually used to work with Travis at Walmart, my first job, like forever ago. And he was a manager, and I was a regular cashier. I didn't recognize him. Um, But whoever was in that room with us said manager, and that's when I made that connection with Travis. And they said empath. Uh, And I didn't know what empath meant at the time, so I looked it up on the way home uh, and kind of realized that I am an empath. Um, So that was a little spooky. I haven't told that story in a, in a while. And most people that hear it, they're like, oh, well, it just said manager. Like, that's a random word. But, like, think about it for a second. That's really weird. If I had realized it before then, like, it wouldn't be as creepy, right? But um, it was very bizarre. Thank you for sharing your story, Jen. Through her encounter with the other side, Jen learned she is an empath. Our next guest, Ben, was already aware of his sensitivity to the spirit world and still chose to seek out ghosts at a well-known building in Booth Bay. That's next when Pine State Gothic continues. When Ben decided to do a ghost hunt for a high school project, he chose the Booth Bay Opera House, known by many locals and paranormal enthusiasts states away, to be haunted. Ben's going to tell us what he found. My name is Ben, and this was back in the kind of early 2000s, like 2004, in Booth Bay Harbor. I was attending Bath Vocational School, obviously in Bath, Maine, and I was doing a multimedia class called uh, Student Technical Assistance. And part of that as my senior project under my teacher, Eric Reeder, 
uh, was to come up with a video project. And he and I got talking. It was like coming up on a eclipse, you know, like a full moon or something like that, sort of in the fall. And he had mentioned back when he was doing history buff stuff down south, like near Gettysburg and things like that. He had done a bunch of ghost hunts. And I was like, man, that would be a really cool idea. And I was actually living across the street from the opera house in Booth Bay Harbor at the time. And I'm like, you know, I bet I can get us in there. And this whole thing kind of snowballed into me holding the first official ghost investigation at the opera house. You know, we, we decided that this would be a great idea for that project. So I started making some phone calls, getting everything together. And, uh, I'd actually reached out to a bunch of different paranormal groups and, uh, I'll be fair. I kind of forget which, which group came when I think we did about three total ghost hunts, uh, at this particular location. And I know we had Maine paranormal and new England paranormal research association helping us out when they were there and things like that completely escaped me. But over the course of time, we had a few different ones come in. Uh, we had a spiritual elder of the community come down and she did some chant singing and she did some meditative things leading the group to get ready for the investigation, burning sage, you know, all these kind of traditional means of opening up the energies and possibilities to actually discover some information. And then when we had the medium come in as well, she, uh, she did a walkthrough early in the day without getting any real information about the building. Like she'd heard a few tales, I'm sure, but she didn't do her own independent research. And she, you know, she was feeling the things like there was a bunch of local tramps down in the basement that were kind of hiding out there that were just around from the old, you know, shipbuilding days. They'd come in on some ship and they needed a place to stay, so they were hiding in the basement. There were poltergeists in the kitchen, according to her, that she could see. They were just mischievous souls bouncing across all the different cabinetries in there and you know one of them was laughing at me when I was standing there apparently because they thought I looked funny with my you know prepubescent goatee <laughs> so it uh it was it was very interesting to see what she had to tell us um I think the most powerful one is if you look at any pictures of the opera house there's this gigantic metal fire escape that goes all the way up the side of the building and the very top window this big kind of oval topped window that looks out over the harbor uh, there's a very beautifully elegantly dressed woman According to this medium standing there and she's looking out across the harbor waiting for her love to return and she said that she got the feeling from this woman that he went out to sea and unfortunately was lost you know, something happened to the boat and he never returned and so she was so enamored with this man that she spends the rest of her restless afterlife up there waiting for his return and it's kind of poetically tragic so as far as the actual investigations went though the main paranormal when they came down you know, we brought a bunch of infrared cameras and they had the EMF meters, the electromagnetic field, um, you know, just kind of get base readings there. I brought my personal camera. They had a bunch of digital cameras themselves. We had one film camera. I mean, it was, we tried to cover all the bases for it. We even had like uh, one of those little mini cassette recorders because we were trying to get any sound anomalies and things like that. And then we literally just kind of set up for the night, turned all the lights off and we had stationary cameras. We had the moving cameras. And uh, we all just kind of went through each room and we'd ask if anybody was with us or are there any spirits that would like to tell us something, you know, all these cliche things, everything up to with the exception of a Ouija board. <laughs> like we all agreed, no Ouija boards. This is an unacceptable decision. You know, we don't want to open up that portal. So we all kind of signed off on the fact that that wasn't a good choice. But with Maine Paranormal, one of the most interesting things that had happened on the inside of the opera house, they had just renovated it. 
for their first official concert opening it back up as a venue. I was up top on one of the, I think it would be on the left side in the balcony area. And my teacher, Eric Reeder, was walking across the floor with an EMF meter. And Sean from Maine Paranormal was across the stage, um, the balcony on the other side. And as Reeder's walking across the floor, he's like looking at the meter and says 0.1, and just nominal readings. Sean and I both notice an orb kind of flashing and starting to fly towards Reader. And he goes, oh my God, it's spiking. And it went up to like a 7.5, 7.9, I think was the highest it got. And it was directly as we see this orb on camera going over his head and continuing on, like up to the stage and then vanished. So four of us that were in that room all experienced the same thing of actually seeing an orb in transit flashing with electromagnetic proof of it. So, you know, even, even to this day, I don't fully prescribe to the idea of ghosts exactly, but as Sean said to me when we started this, energy never dissipates, it only changes form. And I am not an omnipresent being. I don't know all the answers to these things. All I know is that was something that I witnessed, and I don't have a good explanation for it. So, <laughs> But that was definitely one of the cooler things that we saw. But, you know, we were getting, like, there were unique shadows, and there were potential faces and windows and things like that. I mean, there's, there's a few pictures that exist somewhere in my laptop from high school. But we got a lot of different orbs, and again, some shadows and things like that. And then just weird things of like drafts coming in and you know there were also like cold spots that could be walking and it would be a nominal temperature and then just this icy cold little pocket of air with no explanation because it's in the middle of a room and then just that kind of inert feeling of the hair on the back of your neck stands up or like somebody you feel somebody behind you and there's nobody there things like that were happening as well to give a little bit of a backstory on the legend of the opera house as well this building itself has been through multiple manifestations. Uh, it was a Masonic hall for a while. It was a bar. It was a venue. It was, there were some retail shops on the inside for a while. Like I remember going to one, like a prom there and it was all, all set up like little, it looked like a village almost. It was a very <laughs> interesting look. I mean, it, all kinds of different things have happened there over the years. The legend says that the most prominent haunting is this gentleman named Earl Cliff. And he used to be the piano player there up in the bar and then for a lot of the productions down on the stage. And I'm, I don't recall what the means of his death was, but his entire life was playing the piano at this particular place. And uh, a good friend of mine also named Ben, whose family owned it, at this time, uh, he was actually living there with his family in this giant, giant building. Like, it was just their house. <laughs> and uh, He'd tell me, oh yeah, he'd like hear footsteps all the time and things would move around and doors slamming and windows rattling and occasionally they have heard the piano being played. Now I was really hoping we even set up a camera on the piano. You know, everybody really wanted that to happen. And part of me thinks that because we were all wanting it so badly, he refused to play the piano for us. Alas, no piano playing that night. There is like on the back side of the staircase that goes from the ground floor all the way up to the attic and cuts off at the bar uh, there's this little like storage room off to the side and it kind of looks like a green room like where you could have been getting ready for a performance or something like that and one of the pictures that I had taken with my Sony I could swear to you that it looked like a gentleman in a tuxedo in shadow silhouette just kind of laid over the back wall and you know, I tried to enhance it and tweak it and make the make it come out a little bit more and it could just very well be stains on the wall but I would love to believe it <laughs> that it was Earl Cliff getting ready to go play the piano for us. 
the one of the other times that we did this, um, I reached out to New England Paranormal Association, and this gentleman named Steve and his buddy Mike had actually got back to me, and they were like, "Man, we've been wanting to go check this place out. We're so excited. I can't believe you have a means to get in there." And you know, this was like a place of legend that they were aware of, apparently. And I was just like, "Yeah, I know the guys. They said we can come in. Let's let's go do this." <laughs> and I think with those guys, the coolest thing that happened, um, one of our friends who had been very interested in the paranormal and she caught wind of some of the ghost hunts that were going on. She asked me to come along and, uh, you know, she's had a lot of paranormal experiences over the years with just like, you know, shadow people and visitations and doors slamming and stuff like that, you know, just kind of having that third eye, if you will, of seeing alternate beings around you. She came up and we sat in the attic with her in complete darkness and quiet and I took a couple of pictures of the flash on the camera, and it was just her sitting there, like nothing. And she said, if anybody's here, come by, say hello. And she put her hand out. And as soon as she put her hand out, this one incredibly bright, vivid orb was sitting directly above her hand. And she was surrounded by no less than 200 others. And there's a series of about four or five photos like that. And then she said, thank you. And then poof, all the orbs disappeared. Now. Again, it's all subject to your own personal take on it. A lot of people say it's just dust reflecting into the lens or you know, solar flares or reflections off of windows. And yes, there was some glass in the background and so forth, but the timeline lines up and that central orb that was directly above her hand was so vivid and punctuated that I, again, I tend to prescribe to the fact that that could have been something otherworldly of sorts. One of the other pictures I had taken, uh, upstairs in the attic with that same woman, I was just like, there was a box that was sitting on one of the countertops. And I was like, huh, and just inherently, I just felt this urge to take a picture. And it almost looked like the orb was traveling like from corner to corner. So like around the 90 degree turn, it looked like almost cylindrical. Like imagine taking a pool noodle and bending it into this corner. And you know, it's, I don't, I've never seen a piece of dust do something like that. That's unheard of. It, I. I would argue I captured one traveling, but again, I'm not dead. I don't understand, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. And then that's, that's the most fun that I had with this is I found all of it just interesting. It was a curious endeavor, um, of things to explore, which actually is another fun point. So, uh, being the son of two ministers, when I'd initially mentioned this to my dad, it's like, you know, Hey dad, I think I'm going to do this ghost hunt. You know, he immediately thought witchcraft and voodoo and all these terrible things. He said, I don't know if I'm comfortable with you doing that. And I said, well, hey, Dad, what about the Holy Spirit? And he takes a deep breath and oh, fine, go have fun. <laughs> Just completely defeated. He had no argument. He's like, all right, whatever, I get it. Go have fun. You can do this. Come to find out, so many, many years later, I'm living down in Orlando, Florida, and I'm channel surfing, and on sci-fi, there's the show Ghost Hunters. I'm like, oh, that looks kind of cool. You know, that was that was a fun experience for me. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, holy crap, wait a minute, that's Steve. That's the guy that emailed me back. And then the next guy, the little, uh, this was season two, um, the shorter gentleman, no offense, Mike, if you're ever listening to this, uh, with the spiky hair, that was Mike Dion, who I actually became pretty good friends with for a minute and like stayed in touch with. So it was really cool to see these guys like successfully become part of the community. I know most of them have branched off. I don't know if they're even still filming taps or ghost hunters or whatever it was actually called, but you know, the two of them really made it to the big time to make a name for the industry. So I was, I was very lucky that they came up and helped us out.
And now Ben's going to share a story about a time when he wasn't hunting for an entity, but the entity found him. Um, actually, so I got one from last year that was kind of a little bit crazy. Um, so I was seeing this girl uh, who lived out, you know, kind of out in the backwoods, like kind of the boonies part of Maine, but it was this really, really like old farmhouse and known to be haunted. Um, you know, there's like an old graveyard on the property on the backside of it and things like that. And I guess the family, when they were living down south, had acquired or obtained or taken uh, this dining room table. <laughs> and in doing so, there was a spirit entity that was attached to it. Now, according to the family, this spirit looks much, much like the stepfather who's in the picture and living in this house. And there was one time they were all outside. I'm literally getting chills talking about this. Um, so they were outside and saw him kind of walking around the far side of the house and down the other side of the building. And they called out to him and he kind of kept walking. And they stormed over and be like, what the hell are you doing? And they rounded the corner and there's nobody there. And then when they turned back around, the actual gentleman, the actual stepfather was standing out back like, what are you yelling at me for? And, you know, they, they had had multiple sightings, but this was like the most recent one to my timeline of hearing of this gentleman while I was spending time over there. So after they had told me this story, I've always been very open to energies and very empathic, and I can kind of take in things and I'm, I sense things like this, and I always, I've always been that way. And after they told me the story of this gentleman, uh, the spirit, who couldn't come into the house and he was always angry, he had unfinished business, he had he wasn't malicious per se, but he's just, he's busy. He's got something to do. He needs to accomplish things. He felt my empathy and latched onto me. And late that night, I mean, I left at probably 11 o'clock this evening to head back home uh, for about an hour and a half long drive. And I could feel his presence in my vehicle. He literally attached himself to me. And the whole drive home, I kept turning the music up louder, I turned the heat on, I just felt cold. There was this chill that was just coming from the other side of my car, as though he's riding shotgun with me. And it even got to the point that I'd look at him. You know, obviously I couldn't see him, but I'd look as though he's sitting next to me. I'm like, dude, would you just leave me alone? Like, please leave. Like, what are you, why are you following me? What are you following me for? And it got so extreme that by the time I got home, I literally opened the passenger side door of my car and said, get the hell out of my car and leave me alone. And then, the feeling left and it was just i can't explain it any other way than that but it was just th this entity that had work to do was trying to find a way to get away from where he is stuck and he tried really hard to follow me but i, I just i couldn't let him do it and he was just so oppressive and heavy and there was such this mournful attitude that i was feeling and short-tempered and it was it was bizarre it was very bizarre but i I have no other explanation other than it is exactly what it felt like, and that person tried to tried to piggyback me. <laughs> it makes you wonder, because it's like there's, again, following that logic of the energy never dissipates and only changes form, like what, what puts you here? Why are you in this realm? What memory are you hanging on to? What, why are you busy? What's left? What, what's next for you? You know, none of us, none of us know, so... There is no wrong answer, I suppose. Thank you again to my contributors, Ben and Jen, for trusting me with your stories. This episode featured music by Blue Dot Sessions, Blear Moon, Fabian Measures, 
Loyalty Freak Music, Sergei Cheremisinov, Trifame, and Nocturnum. Pine State Gothic is edited and produced by me, Leah Watkins. I want to hear your experiences of the mysterious, magical, mystical, or murderous side of Maine. Please email me at pinestategothic at gmail.com. Opera House. Jeez, my cat just attacked me. Start talking about ghosts and she claws me in the wrist. I mean, that was perfect. <laughs> like, literally, I was just like, I'm just sitting here talking and she just attacks my wrist. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs>